Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Welcome. Today, we have Chris from DevDAO. Hi, Chris. Hey, Evgeny. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk. My pleasure. So, first of all, tell us what is going on in DeFi. Should we be concerned? Uh, is the world over or is there something to be excited about? <laughs> um, I mean, I don't think the world's over. There, there might be, um, you know, some negative momentum, but overall, there, it's definitely an exciting time. You should definitely be excited. Uh, think about it, right? We had a historic moment that, you know, those of us in Ethereum have been waiting you know, years for, right, which is the merge. Uh, price and, and number, right, did not go up. But from a technical level, uh, there are very minimal hiccups, if any, right? So the merge happened. Uh, ETH is scaling, right? There's activity on Arbitrum, optimism. I believe Arbitrum, right, is starting to uh, tease their, their their token is launching. ZK Sync 2.0 is coming out, right? And then you've got some crazy teams like you know us at DebtDAO and others who are trying to tackle new problems in the space. So builders are building. The merge happened, and ETH is scaling. Like I, I think there's a lot to be excited about, you know, in DeFi. TVL has has gone down, um, and generally, right, activity on chain has decreased. Uh, but that is, in my opinion, to be expected when we have a contraction, right, in in activity overall and in, in the broader kind of macro economy. So I wouldn't be too concerned about what we're experiencing now. I think there's a lot of exciting momentum kind of building for when our next bull cycle. Sounds like there is hope left. So that's good to know. So yeah. Uh, so with that, tell us uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into the space uh, and what kind of excites you about it? Yeah, so for me, it's a bit of a, a long-winded route as most people in the space. By training, I, I, I used to work in JP Morgan. I did structured credit and securitized products. So I would cover you know private equity funds, um, some hedge funds, some actual you know national banks. And help them manage um, their assets and liabilities. And really, what that just means is help them identify assets to buy. So, so mortgage loans a lot of times, um, and then how to finance those, right, and manage the two. Um, I did that for a few years. I actually knew that it never, never was going to be my full time job. I thought maybe I wanted to go to the buy side, but ultimately realized that it kind of was the same thing, but from a different perspective. So, I started exploring like you know this this crazy thing called crypto and. Uh, in 2020, I deployed my like bonus that I had from JP Morgan into Ethereum when prices crashed. And I was very fortunate to, to do that trade. And then DeFi summer happened. And it was it was um, really all I needed to know because I saw a lot of crazy activity happening, you know, effectively, you know, lending and exchanging value, right, in a permissionless, trustless way was really exciting and, and kind of captivated my, my attention. Fortunately for me, I was able to work from home. So I was able to do all of this because it was COVID. Um, in 2021, I, you know, I quit and I went full time in the space. I was messing around with like a uh, Uni V3 was particularly exciting to me. I was working with a developer to create a liquidity provisioning bot similar to like what we have today from like Gelato or you know Gamma Strategies. And ultimately, did not raise money for that and kind of pursue building it further. Uh, the engineer wasn't too excited about it. I discovered DebtDAO on a community call, met my co-founder Kiba, uh, and we've been pushing that ever since like January of 2022. So it's been a, an up and down ride, but as is most things in crypto, if you kind of stick around, it feels to be worth it. Oh, wow. That's amazing. I mean, that's 
that's actually one of the things that excites me about the space is that uh, people who are genuinely passionate about this, they can, on a community call, meet a co-founder and uh, and just create something. That's that's pretty fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely crazy. Um, you know, my other prior life, right? Like rounds of interviews, you know, meeting <laughs> a person for, for interview, you know, a super day. It's like a, getting grilled for three hours. You know, this was much different where, you know, I met my co-founder on a Discord call. <laughs> we worked on Discord, right, for, you know, six, seven months before we even met in person. Um, so crypto is a, is a beautiful place for that. Yeah, yeah, it's a very, very different world. So so with that, uh, tell us about DevDAO. What, uh, what are you guys building and what problem are you trying to solve? Yeah, so we are building a crypto native credit marketplace. Um, and what that really means is we're building smart contracts that underpin this marketplace and allow both lenders and borrowers to access uh, debt markets and, and credit markets. You know, the main problem we're trying to solve is is this, this primitive does not exist, right, on-chain for DAOs. And, and what that primitive is, it's, it's credit, right? It's debt-based financing. It's, it's financing your future growth with debt, which if you look in the traditional markets, small and medium-sized enterprises are largely financed by this. And it's because there are, there are heavy, you know, large advantages, right, to financing with debt as opposed to equity, you know, or tokens, right, in the crypto-native sense. Um, the, the main product that we're pushing out, our first product will be a revolving line of credit. And what that means is a borrower, you know, you can kind of think about it similar to like a credit card. You know, you and I, right, we have a credit card that we can spend up to a certain limit. We can spend that on, you know, on demand, right? At, at a coffee shop, at a grocery store, uh, going to a sports game. We want to build that for DAOs. Now I'm conceptually using credit cards, but our product is not a credit card. It's full. It's a smart contract fully permissionless and trustless. And as a borrower, it has support for um, multiple assets to be lent to you, uh, multiple lenders, and then differentiating between those lenders based on interest rate. Uh, and that's what allows you as a borrower to get the lowest effective rate in the market. You know, for a lender, as opposed to having to, you know, if you're a maker and you have DAI, uh, as opposed to having to switch your DAI to USDC and send it to like a Goldfinch pool, and also shout out to Goldfinch, big fans not to knock on them, but uh, the pool model, right, is a bit different versus ours. So ours is peer to peer and lets you deposit the currency of your choice as a lender, as opposed to having to swap to whatever the pool is. Uh, and what's also interesting is just to reiterate is the ability, right, to price your risk according to your own, you know, calculations. So you don't have to agree to the pool determined rate you can lend at, at a different rate from Frax or from RE7 Capital or for Olympus, the Dow Treasury, right? That's your choice as a lender. So let's zoom out for a second. So I think there's an important nuance uh, that we need to highlight to make sure it's very kind of very well understood, right? So right now, anyone can take any, well, not any, but a bunch of different assets, go to the well-established lending marketplaces and borrow against their uh, holdings. Obviously, mm -hmm. what you guys are doing is radically different. So uh, can you highlight to our listeners what actually serves as the collateral uh, for the loans that we sell in capital or anyone else can, can lend into? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. The existing solutions are collateralized by assets. Um, we have not thrown that away. We've actually added the ability to do what we call 
a mix and match between collateralizing with, with assets and then with revenue. So we've created a smart contract called the Spigot Smart Contract that allows a borrowing DAO to um, take a revenue-generating smart contract that they have, attach it to the Spigot, which then gets sent, which is a module within the line of credit, and then is used to trustlessly pay back their credit facility, right? So that's one of the things that they determine upfront is what percentage of their cash flows do they want to direct to the spigot to repay a credit facility? Now you can imagine there's probably a lever between the two, right? So uh, the two are collateral and revenue. So the more revenue that you use to pay back your facility, the more capital efficient this will be and the less collateral that you'll have to put up front. Um, the, the less revenue that you give to a lender, the more collateral that you have to put up front. So it's a mix and match right between those two and it's up to your discretion as a borrower to determine kind of how your ideal structure is. So does this mean that this unlocks a whole new A, DeFi primitive and B, opportunity for DAOs? So does this mean that I can go and I can spin up a smart contract when I say I obviously as a DAO that has a product, right? And then there is a product that product potentially generates cash flow, whether it's Curve that collects fees and sends it to their treasury whether it's some other project that uh, earns revenue on chain, does this mean that that future expected cash flow is now an asset that people can use to fund uh, well their their operations basically? Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Um, you know, if you look at look at Index Co-op, they have produced one point seven million dollars year to date in streaming fees. Um, you know, theoretically. Should our product have been in market already at the beginning of the year, they could have maybe, you know, let's say it's a million dollars, make it super easy from a math perspective. Say it's a million dollars of revenue uh, and a lender wants 10%. They could get a borrowing doubt could get $900,000 today, as opposed to having to wait, you know, 10, 12 months to get that revenue in. And imagine the kind of use cases that you as a borrowing DAO, you know, have with that cash upfront today. Um, it unlocks the ability, right, to increase your team, to push out new products, which then increase your revenue, you know, even further. Um, and it just allows you to grow quicker as opposed to having to wait, right, that whole year to let those cash flows and those revenues come in. We think it's a paradigm shift uh, and we're trying to usher in this new era, right? And so the borrower side is pretty simple. From the lender side, what's really exciting is, is, is recourse, right? So if you look at Maple, you look at Goldfinch, uh, you look at, at TrueFi, Clearpool, they rely on off-chain legal agreements that are enforced in a bankruptcy court. And there's some opportunity costs to that time that those proceedings take, right? Mm -hmm. Bankruptcy proceedings could take three months. They could take six months. They could take a year, right? Or more. Uh, it, or exactly, or more, right, right. And there are many intermediaries who take a cut of the proceeds through those processes. So not only do you lose that time that you could have invested your money, right? So illustrative example, say, uh, you know, it's a million dollar facility and you take a 10% hit and maybe you only get nine, $900,000 back as a lender. So you lost 10% already. Well, at least you have your money today and you can then go reallocate that to another borrower or another strategy to try to recoup that loss. In the traditional world as a lender, when there's a default, not only do you have that to take, you, you know, you're taking a loss right up front, you have to impair your credit. But now you have this time where you're kind of at the whims of a bureaucratic process. Mm -hmm. And we just see like smart contract enforcement as, as, as a paradigm shift when it comes to recourse. And to our knowledge, right, 
This increased security through collateralizing a DAO's on-chain revenue via the spigot is the first time ever that a lender has this trustless assurance that they do have recourse. So they own the revenue of that DAO until they're made whole. They could sell it off. They could renegotiate. They could extend the facility to be paid whole. But they know that they have this programmatic enforcement to priority repayment. And that's what's super exciting. Well, that's, I mean, from a borrower perspective, that's obviously amazing, right? Because uh, capital efficiency, so on and so forth, um, you know, cash upfront, that's factoring, right? That's that's a, a massive, massive business in the in the real world. And actually the, the bloodline of the banking system, because obviously if you if we think about, you know, the industrial companies or the service companies of this world, they don't necessarily put up their factories as collateral. Sometimes they do, but very often um, it's actually cash flow receivables. So I get it. From a lender perspective, is there a risk that some sneaky DAO will um, you know, make a governance proposal to redirect uh, their revenue streams to a new smart contract, or they'll fork themselves to avoid repaying the, do- the debt? Obviously, if the money is in the smart contract, then you know, we all know that code is law. Um, to, to a certain extent, but pretty much is. Um, but is there is there a way for someone to trick the system? Yeah, so I mean, look, what, what you just highlighted, there, there's one way, and that way is exactly, you know, we identify this as a risk in our documents. However, uh, you know, what that risk is, right, let's just be clear to the listeners, is a, a project, right, they put up some revenue contract to the spigot to secure facility, now, let's say a hypothetical case where there's zero collateral up front. Now, you as the lender could just you know, require collateral up front. But let's say there's zero collateral up front. The borrowing DAO then could theoretically right, nuke that revenue-generating smart contract, create a new one that is not attached to the spigot, uh, and then manually right, force their users to migrate over to that contract. Now, um, while that is a possibility, we think that there is inherent kind of reputational risk to DAO leaders, right? People who um, voice, make proposals on governance posts to do so, um, as opposed to like lending to a pseudo anonymous individual, you know, with more of a retail focused product. Ours is more, you know, DAO to DAO. And there are people who kind of, whether they are publicly, you know, fully doxxed or even if they are like, you know, quote unquote anonymous, you know, there are people who know them and they have followings. And what we are, imagining is the case is, you know, someone would not do that in the event that they had a, a, a lender giving them access to very cheap capital. Because what happens, should you ruin your reputation and your, your, your credit worthiness, right, in the eyes of lenders by nuking a revenue contract and migrating to another one, the immediate kind of after effect of that is likely that the lender withdraws the capital in that facility and could deploy that, right, immediately to your competitor and, and help them gain a lower cost of capital to finance their growth. Whereas they would leave you dry and, and ideally, you know, never lend to you again, should you do that. So yes, that is a risk with the spigot. However, we think there are kind of market forces at play here that disincentivize individuals from doing that, right. With, with their governance uh, processes. Make, makes sense. And I guess even going a step further, uh, presumably, you know, the large DAOs, uh, you know, let's call it AAA, so to speak, uh, obviously very unlikely to do so. The ones who could do so are the more desperate ones, but they, it sounds like they would require some additional collateral, which means that kind of it's 
it's kind of pointless for them to try and trick the system because it's just not worth it. And I guess the interesting, like just thinking through this, that it sounds like there could be a role for like a strategist, right? Or like a credit role that could maybe even be outsourced to the community, right? To help uh, assess these risks and qualify the borrowers. Is, is that how you're thinking about this? Absolutely. Absolutely. So look, we, we are trying to build technology that lets other people participate in this new marketplace. We're literally trying to create it from the ground up. So we want to have these, uh, you know, whether it's a sub DAO that's affiliated with us, whether it's a completely separate DAO that acts as a service to us, participate in this ecosystem from borrowers, lenders to data providers and credit scoring systems. Um, we could have an underwriting DAO. Theoretically, there could be a DAO in the future that consists of individuals, could be similar to Llama, could be similar to a traditional fund, right? That provides these services to um, maybe uh, maybe Yearn spins up a, a pool product that invests in lines of credit, but they need a strategist, right? So somebody can provide that as a service to this pool of capital and get a cut of the fees. Um, we really want to move towards progressive decentralization of the various stakeholders in this marketplace. Uh, and I think like you're saying, underwriting and kind of credit expertise is most definitely one of the kind of missing pieces to, to getting to a system where we can actually do that. So there's a huge value in providing that analysis to both sides you know, of the marketplace, borrowers and lenders. How big do you think this can get? Yeah, um, I, you know, if you look at let's let's look at like the real world you know there's a couple ways to look at it right um if you look at the real world you've got just in the united states alone right the credit market fixed income securities are worth i think the last time i checked 53 trillion dollars you look at globally you know that number is north of 125 trillion dollars uh within defi i think we peaked in may of 2022 at, at 1.5 billion and currently it's around 675 million, right? So like, let's just take the peak. The peak volume of 1.5 billion is still 35,000 times smaller than just <laughs> the size of the United States credit markets globally, <laughs> right? We're talking 70,000 times. So I think we have a lot of room to grow, right? Um, you look at like lending, right? In DeFi TVL, you know, TV, TVL overall is what, 50 billion, I think around there. Uh, last time I checked, lending was, you know, around 20% of, of the cap stack. So maybe we're down to like 10 billion now. I haven't run the numbers recently. Long story short, I think we've got a long way to grow, even just within the own ecosystem, you know, let alone when we start thinking about longer term, you know, real businesses bringing their cash flows on chain, right? Or um, physical infrastructure that serves to, you know, really exist only for digital reasons. So such as like, um, cell towers, right? So it's decentralized wireless or decentralized science, right? If some of those cash flows come on chain, you know, the TAM really starts opening up in a, in a big capacity. Um, but we've got a long way to go. You know, it's, you know, we're not even at a billion dollars yet. It kind of feels to me, it feels very similar to like April of, of 2020 when, you know, DeFi TVL was sub a billion and like every day, which is kind of exciting. And there was like new people tackling the problem. So I'm super excited about where, where this crypto credit space can go in the next three to five years. Yeah, the potential is obviously there. I mean, that's that's why we're all here, right? Hoping it all, it all grows to, to yeah. such a scale we can't cope with it anymore. 
Uh, <laughs> I'm curious, like, could this apply to any DAO? So could this apply to a play-to-earn guild? Could this apply to an NFT uh, marketplace? Could this apply, obviously, to DeFi, you know, projects? Um, could it apply to, I don't know, like ENS uh, domain registry, assuming they, you know, at some point collect collect some revenue? Like, are there any limits uh, because it sounds like it could act like as long as someone is printing money, then this could be a fit. You're you're absolutely correct. Um, so we think it's applicable to a lot of DAOs, right? Um, one that I'm actually super excited about. You kind of alluded to, right? I mean, think about PseudoSwap or um, Looks Rare, right? They're great examples of NFT marketplaces who people pay to use them. PseudoSwap launched this summer, and they've done you know, north of $300,000 of platform fees in a couple of months, right? You annualize, annualize that, that's over a million dollars. You know, you could give a credit facility to them to 500K or 750K and start sizing that up, you know, into larger numbers, especially as we get into like a bull market. Um, you know, a couple of months ago, ENS was, was doing quite well. You know, they had some of the highest revenue in the space, depending on which day you looked at it. You know, I think they're still doing, you know, multi-million dollars in revenue. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of opportunity in this space and it's not, you know, it's not all the spaces you think of, like even, um, for example, we're, we're living in this cross chain kind of multi-chain world. Well, you know, bridges are pretty important bridges like hop, uh, or connects, like they do a lot of, of fee revenue. Yeah. We could participate in that. Um, we can expand in, like you said, the, the play to earn games, you know, that's not where we are right now, but anything that has a cash flow on chain that people pay to use could be a, a beneficiary, right, of this new primitive. That that's actually like super interesting because, like, thinking through, thinking even further, this could radically change how capital markets work, right? So, if I'm if I'm a startup in the traditional world, and let's say let's take the example, let's say I'm fully bootstrapped, right? So, a small scrappy team uh, building something, and then you have some business, let's say software business that starts to generate, let's say, a million a year. Sure. Right. At that point in time, I, it's very hard for me to imagine any bank lending to you unless you are, I don't know, super well connected. Right. It's quite unlikely. Yeah. Uh, then what you do, you go to venture funds, obviously, and, you know, you give up some of your equity because this is the only way for you to grow. Or uh, maybe you're lucky and you find the venture debt fund that would give you a loan as well, um, but also probably ask you for a warrant, which ultimately means you're giving up some of your equity as well. So could this like literally unlock a lot of other stuff? Because does this mean that early stage for those who can generate at least some revenue early on, does this mean they no longer need to give up their equity? Exactly. Exactly. No, that's exactly it. That's the borrower side. Um, yeah. we, we think, uh, we think it has this capability to, right. And, and I think it's really exciting too. There's, some projects we're excited about. One's called Next Round. Now they haven't launched it. Maybe there's some alpha. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited about them because, you know, I mean, again, you know, right? Like, safe, typical, you know, tech businesses, right? They will finance their first round, their seed round or pre seed with a safe note. Um, and I've always long, one of my personal like angel investments is in a project that I thought was kind of tackling this problem back in 2019. Turns out, unfortunately, they're focused on like security tokens. But, anyways, Next round, they're trying to do this in a way that brings that safe note on chain as an NFT. The, the actual payment, the purchase amount of that safe note occurs on chain via stablecoin. 
And that safe note is, is non-transferable. It's a token, it's an NFT, uh, and you can't get liquidity on it until everyone gets liquidity, right? Mm-hmm. So that's an example of the equity side of venture business coming on chain. I think what you want to see and what we're excited about is bringing the debt and the credit side of the business on chain. So as that ecosystem starts to grow, we could theoretically partner with a group like them that's allowing these projects to get financing on chain. And then as soon as they get to a growth stage and have users have built their technology, they could tap into debt financing by this global pool of capital that is just looking to get a return on, you know, some return on their principal amount, right? And that's really exciting because there's the massive pool out there. As you see with a lot of these projects that launch, there's always demand, even in the bear market, there's still demand for like new product launches. People Mm -hmm. are excited to try new things. I couldn't agree more. Now, now we've touched pretty extensively on the borrower side. So if we talk about lenders, uh, um, whom do you have out there? So funds like, you know, as you know, with Seven Capital, we run yield funds. So we're always looking for, you know, attractive risk return. And we could be a very, very active lender into such opportunities where there is real cash flow backing the loans. Um, you obviously have, at some point, TradFi people maybe will come in, but as we know, that's probably quite far away. Um, and by crypto standards, far away can mean two years, by the way, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll be very old by, by that point in time. Um, and obviously some DGENs, but what about the DAOs? Like, what do you think? How could... DAOs think about this in terms of the broader context of managing their potentially sizable uh, assets? Yeah. Yeah. No, we, we think so. You know, the, the supply side of a marketplace always seems to be a little bit harder. Um, and, and, and that's definitely true in this case. But I think longer term, there's a big opportunity here for DAOs to really rethink kind of what they do with treasury management and kind of think less speculative and more sustainable. Right. So a lot of these DAOs have seen drastic reductions in the value of their their treasury, right? Their quote unquote runway. Uh, and the reason for that is really just poor, you know, risk management and lack of other options, right? If you're a DAO with, with a lot of your own governance token or ETH, you know, you didn't have many opportunities to lend to other DAOs or to have like, call it less risky investment options. It was kind of YOLO or, or, or nothing, right? Just go full DGEN or, or just have idle assets. Or maybe, right, you can get like some leverage on it on like Avi or Compound, but nothing really too crazy. Um, And we're trying to usher in this era that's more sustainable. And it's more about, um, you know, diversify some percentage, whether that's five to 10 or 20%. It's really dependent on that, your specific DAO, but diversify some of your treasury and lend it to other DAOs and generate yield with it. Don't take massive credit risk. Uh, but identify borrowers that are relatively safe or structure in a way that protects your principal and allows you to generate interest income. And what's really interesting is, is you know, if you think of Guinea, like in the traditional world, you, you, you know, interest expense is one of the last line items on the income statement, right? Mm-hmm. It comes after your cost of goods sold, your operating expenses, comes right before your taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're introducing the ability, and this hasn't happened before, but we actually only care about the revenue in this case because the spigot comes from the top line, right? You get a cut of the top line number, which is this new shift in how you think about evaluating borrowers as a lender, right? It makes like venture debt truly be venture debt. You care just about the revenue and getting a claim on that top line cash flow before any other expenses are, are, are deduced, right? So it, it really increases um, security, right, for you as a lender 
And it's taking a bit of time, right, to introduce this to DAOs to lend. But I think that, you know, once one of them does it, the others will follow. You know, a good example, Nexus Mutual, 10% of their treasury, they put in the wrapped ETH Maven 11 pool on Maple. We think we're a superior option than that for various reasons that we've introduced in this podcast. But, uh, you know, I think we'll get there. It, it'll take time, but we'll get there. Well, that would be a very exciting world because, um, you know, as you know, we also talked to a lot of uh, DAOs and treasuries, and it's such a shame to see talented uh, software developers and technology entrepreneurs uh, trying to think like bankers without having that relevant experience and mismanage their runway and, yeah, and unfortunately uh, potentially suffer. So, yeah, cash management is as relevant as, as anywhere. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, now is the time for, uh, for you to, to lick some officer. So tell us, uh, when are you launching? Uh, what should we be keeping an eye on? And uh, where should we rush on day one? <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. We, we will be launching between now and year end. I won't say when, but we're launched between now and year end. Um, we will have uh, what we call a Genesis suite of borrowers, um, you know, two to three borrowers that, that we'll be announcing again between now and year end. And what you should be on the, on the lookout for is, um, you know, a few announcements uh, with regards to this go live date. We'll be teasing our app, you know, our front end app in due time. Uh, if anyone listening happens to be a software developer or a hacker, um, we'll be having a um, contest with Code Arena on the first week of November. Uh, there's some pretty big bug bounties. So there's $100,000 in prizes that we're giving out to people who find bugs in our code. Uh, and then if anybody listening, right, is, is somebody that we would call a curator, which is like our first step to progressive decentralization, we'd love to talk to you. Curators are people in the space with boots on the ground who might know a DAO, who could be a borrower or a lender. Uh, and through those introductions, we're looking to reward these curators, these early helpers of a project. Uh, with future airdrops in the token. So, you know, when debt, I can't tell you, I don't know. We might not launch a token. We might launch a token, um, but we're trying this experiment, right? Where early adopters are rewarded for referrals, right? To DebtDAO. So anyone listening, we'd love to uh, to hear from you and uh, keep an eye on us. That's uh, not enough offer, but good enough. So fair enough. Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and... Um... Obviously, we'll have more leaks, I'm sure, as, as time uh, as time approaches. And, you know, if you were to leave uh, our listeners with just one thought uh, that excites you the most uh, with regards to, you know, DeFi, let's say a year from now, what would it be? Is it a version of DeFi that could be magical? Is it a product that you guys are going to roll out? Is it something else? Like, what is what is that one thing that excites you before you go to sleep? Yeah, so th maybe this would be the, this would be Alpha since I, it wasn't good enough. But we we've got another product <laughs> that's coming out in 2023 that I'm really excited about. That I think is um, truly a flywheel. Uh, effectively, you know, there's been some momentum to tease others like Sentiment and Gearbox. There's this term called like composable leverage. Um, but we're working on introducing a very similar product uh, that is capital efficient for a borrower, right? So. Uh, under collateralized for a borrower, but over collateralized for a lender. And then we're introducing the idea of using that productive yield into the spigot 
right, to kind of repave facilities. So I'll just kind of tease that is coming out, I think, in 2023 with other DAOs. You know, what we've talked about is really for operational expenses, but there's also this liquidity need for DAOs for their token. Uh, and we're, you know, we're working with some of the larger active liquidity managers on rolling out a product to address that. So what excites me the most, right, is having solutions for DAOs to manage their needs, right? And, and that comes from operational expenses, liquidity, asset liability management. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of room to go. So in a year, we probably have some new solutions, right, that don't exist today because, you know, uh, teams are just starting to work on them. But I know a lot of really smart people that are working to bring solutions for Dow Treasury managers to make their jobs easier and more efficient. So in one year, I'm excited to see the progress because a lot of teams are building through the spare market. And hopefully, you know, market's a little more exciting in about a year. Well, that is proper alpha. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you, Chris. It's been, uh, it's been great having you here. I'm personally very genuinely excited, as you know, about what you guys are launching because this does unlock a whole new primitive uh, using DeFi terminology in our market and makes it a little bit more tangible and a little bit more real uh, versus the more traditional speculative use cases we're so fond of. So best of luck with the launch. And I hope to have you here again at some point uh, once you're you know, boasting about your TVL and your numbers. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully that's a uh, time soon. So thanks for having me again. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, for any listeners who'd like to reach out, follow me on Twitter and, uh, and send me a DM. I'd love to talk with you. Cool. Thank you, Chris. And thanks for everyone for listening. Thanks. Take care, Evgeny.